You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Should practitioners screen asymptomatic patients for atherosclerosis, or is there cause for caution in promoting widespread use of such screening? Our guest today is Dr. Predaman Shaw, Director of the Division of Cardiology at Cedars-Sinai Heart Institute in Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Dr. Shaw. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you today. And you know, I think what we might do is start with a very basic concept, and that is screening. Talk to us about the purpose. At the heart of it, what's the purpose of screening for heart disease? Well, as you know, the most common form of heart disease is the one that results from atherosclerosis and thrombosis in the arterial system, specifically in the coronary arteries, leading to a heart attack or sudden death. And in the case of brain arteries, leading to ischemic stroke. Regrettably, nearly 50% of these sudden vaso-occlusive events occur in individuals who have no prior symptoms, warnings, or any knowledge that they are at risk for such events. So these are kind of unheralded, serious cardiovascular events. And therefore, the issue has been, is there any way to identify such individuals who are completely asymptomatic and have no knowledge that they have heart disease, could we identify them by some means before they suffer such an event? And so allowing us an opportunity to introduce preventive interventions that would then reduce their risk of having such an event. That's the fundamental basis for the idea of screening for subclinical vascular disease in a population that is completely asymptomatic. And that's really what the screening approach is all about. Exactly. The idea of bringing all the weight and breadth of the science to a population that doesn't even know it's at risk. Correct. Maybe you could walk us through some of the screening tools that we have had for years, and then we'll move into some of the newer ones. For decades now, we have had the ability as clinicians to look at a number of clinically accessible variables and put them together and develop a risk algorithm. And this is primarily based on an inventory of risk factors for atherothrombosis, very well defined by the Framingham Longitudinal Heart Study. For example, if you're older, if you have diabetes, if you are a smoker, if you have high blood pressure, if you have high cholesterol, or you have a family history of premature heart disease, these are all risk factors that confer an increased risk of a cardiovascular event on an individual. So taking an inventory of these risk factors has been the cornerstone for predicting who is likely to get into trouble down the road. And using this Framingham algorithm, we often will divide patients into low-risk, high-risk, and then in between risk, which is called the intermediate risk. The low-risk individuals are those who don't have many of the risk factors we just enunciated. High-risk individuals are those who have more than one to two of these risk factors. And then there's a large group of individuals in between that fall into an intermediate category. 
And that's the way we have traditionally categorized asymptomatic individuals in these different categories of risk, low, intermediate, and high. And they have then been linked to the aggressiveness with which preventive interventions are introduced. So the high-risk individuals get the kitchen sink thrown on them. Low-risk individuals are generally recommended for more of a healthier lifestyle alone. But there's this large group in between where the 10-year risk of having a heart attack or stroke is from 5% all the way to 20%. And that's a very broad range. And that's where I think we need more help in further honing down and narrowing that spectrum. And this is where looking for subclinical atherosclerosis using non-invasive imaging, this is the group where we have, we're likely to get the greatest bang for the buck, if you will, by implementing one additional step of non-invasive imaging of subclinical vascular disease. And so, in summary then, the first step for risk assessment is always looking at risk factors like the Framingham risk. And then teasing out the intermediate group where we have this broad range, that's the group where additional testing might be in order in order to further define the risk more precisely. I want to go into that intermediate group and specifically look at imaging. But before we do, maybe you could speak to any other limitations in the Framingham risk score. Yeah, there are a number of limitations as we have come to recognize that the first the obvious one is the intermediate risk has a very broad range. Right. And number two is a lot of the women who might be at risk are categorized at low risk. It's very difficult for women to get a very high Framingham risk score until they are much, much older. So it doesn't work quite as well in women. And the Framingham risk was developed predominantly in a white population. And we're not absolutely certain that it works just as well in other ethnic groups, in other geographical regions, and so forth. So there are a number of potential limitations, and many, many so-called low-risk Framingham subjects will actually turn out to be much higher risk when you employ imaging studies to identify subclinical atherosclerosis. So we are likely to misclassify a number of subjects based on Framingham risk alone. And of course, Framingham risk doesn't, strictly doesn't take into account family history as such, although we as clinicians always pay attention to that. So there are a number of limitations to Framingham. It's good, but it's not good enough. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD. It's the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright, and our honored guest today is Dr. Predeman Shaw. Dr. Shaw is director of the Division of Cardiology at Cedars-Sinai Heart Institute in Los Angeles. We're discussing screening of asymptomatic folks for subclinical atherosclerosis. Dr. Shaw, I want to return to the use of imaging, particularly in that intermediate risk group. Tell us the ups and downs, uh, benefits, and risks of that sort of screening. Okay. Now, there are two uh, really major practically available modalities for identifying subclinical atherosclerosis. One is based on ultrasound, mostly applied to carotid arteries because they are easily accessible and easily imageable with ultrasound. And the second involves CT scan of the heart, so-called coronary calcium scan, which picks up coronary calcification. And coronary calcification is really a surrogate for atherosclerosis. 
So these are the two tests, and they both have their pros and their cons. Let's begin with the ultrasound of the carotid. It's relatively simple. It's completely risk-free. There is no radiation involved, and therefore it can be repeated sequentially if necessary. And it's a relatively simple and easy test to do and doesn't take a lot of time. And in the images, we look for thickening of the wall of the carotid arteries and localized bulging, indicating the presence of plaque. And if you have very thickened carotid arteries or you have a plaque in the carotid arteries, then you know that you're susceptible to developing atherosclerosis. And you can infer that if you have it in the carotid arteries, you're likely to have it in other arteries as well. And one could use that information in more aggressive preventive intervention. The second test is a coronary calcium scan. The advantage of that is it can directly identify presence of calcified plaque in the coronary arteries non-invasively. It's also very quick, takes less than 10 minutes to do. It's virtually idiot-proof because the assessment is automatic, and so there's very little operator intervention required. The main drawback is there's a small amount of radiation involved, and that's predominantly the only potential downside to it, and therefore it's not something that you want to keep on doing repeatedly. Now, having said that, one might also consider cost. What is the cost of doing these tests? Well, for the coronary calcium scan, you can find places where they offer it for 90 to to $100, and there are other places that charge up to 200 or $300. So somewhere between 100 to $300 is the range for the test. For the carotid ultrasound, again, somewhere between 100 to $300. So the tests are comparably expensive or comparably cheap, depending on which way you want to look at it. So what we have suggested is that in this intermediate group, one can begin with a carotid ultrasound because it's completely risk-free. And if the carotid ultrasound is abnormal, one doesn't need to go any further. You have established that the individual has subclinical disease in at least one vascular bed, and that's a good enough justification for a very aggressive intervention. However, the drawback is that if it's a negative test, in other words, the carotid ultrasound is normal, you can still have plaque in the coronary arteries. So we recommend that if the carotid ultrasound is completely normal, that one also do then a coronary calcium scan so as not to miss that proportion of individuals whose carotids are normal but the coronaries are abnormal. And that's kind of the two-pronged strategy we recommend for individuals whose carotids are normal. One could also turn it other way around and start with a coronary calcium scan. And if it is abnormal, you stop right there. If it is normal, then you go to the carotids. And I think the data in the literature suggests that if you have zero coronary calcium and no plaque in the carotid arteries, you are an extremely low-risk individual, at least over the next five to seven years. And aggressive medical management in such an individual may be an overkill. Very helpful information for someone who's considering multi-year medical treatment for this condition. Let me back up, though, and ask, I didn't actually ask you to define the population of people for whom you would recommend this algorithm. We said asymptomatic, but there, there are probably some more details around that population. Correct. I think one of the first ones is asymptomatic individuals who have risk factors but are not willing or not motivated to modify their risk because they think they're healthy. 
And it is amazing how often when you show them an image of their carotid artery with plaque or a coronary artery with multiple areas of calcific plaques, they get religion very quickly. They consider quitting smoking. They consider going on a statin that they were reluctant to do, and they get motivated to lose weight or do exercise. And there's data from our own institution to suggest that knowing the results of the subclinical atherodetection seems to motivate individuals to modify their behavior and become more compliant with risk-reducing interventions. So a reluctant individual with risk factors would be one of the people that we would consider. And then based on calculation of the Framingham risk, and that algorithm is available on, on the web, if the individual falls into the intermediate category with a 6 to 20% 10-year risk, that would be the subgroup where one would consider imaging. Now, you don't want to image people who have known disease or who are already taking risk-modifying precautions and interventions. Because if you repeat the test on them, you wouldn't change anything anyway. So right. for that subgroup of people, you don't need to do the test. Those who are already doing everything they can to prevent a cardiovascular event. It would be redundant in that population. You know, it's fascinating what you said. I, in my practice, was slow to adopt an approach similar to this because I felt I could assure someone that they were already likely to have the condition, even if it was undiagnosed, because of the risk factor profile that you mentioned even being intermediate or uh, they're having those risk factors that they were reluctant to modify. But as soon as either they came back with a calcium score that someone else had ordered or I ordered it for them, I saw that profound motivation that comes from either the visual that they got of the calcium in their arteries or the number. We are a culture that likes a number. You are absolutely right. I mean, I've been trying to preach this for years, <laughs> that in my own practice, I have seen a dramatic turnaround in the population of patients who previously thought they were perfect health because they ran a marathon. Therefore, nothing could ever go wrong with them. And yet, when you show them the images, initial reaction is anger. How could I have this? But the subsequent response is, well, what do I do now? We've been talking with Dr. Shaw about the widespread use of atherosclerosis screening for asymptomatic patients. Dr. Shaw is not only an expert in preventative cardiology, but also we're hearing today in behavioral cardiology as well. Uh, Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for being our guest today. Absolutely. My pleasure, and thank you for asking me. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.